bienvenue and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Skyscraper. Spare that building, don't tear it down. No, 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 spare that building, it has renown. He said it! The place where Horace Greeley might have pointed west. Young man, please spare that. Don't tear that little old lovely building down. Take the Dakota. There's a victory. Thanks to this group, it's not an AMP. We're in there fighting, fighting night and day. That's why there's still a Turtle Bay. That General Motors will get their reward. They tore that hotel down and drove us to Ford. My George! Spare that building, please let it stand. That old building's part of the land. Let's preserve this most historic house. Down in the cellar, Herman Melville once harpooned a mouse. Please spare that But first, how are we doing? I hope this episode of The Musical Man finds you well. Patty, Benny, I know we have this technically at the bottom of our list in terms of opening segment priorities, but I feel like this should shoot straight to the top of the list. So if you don't mind, I just want to say this right up top. From all of us to all of you, here is wishing everyone a safe and happy holiday season. Now, you might think, is he just talking about December? No, I'm talking about year-round, because of course, holidays are always coming at us, am I right? I consider the calendar year to be one continuous holiday season. So, here is again, I say to you, have a safe and happy holiday season, year-round, oh, 24-7, 365. That's what we wish for you, our dear listener. Our, Our dear listeners, the musical minions. When was the last time I would have used that term of affection? Well, I'm using it here now. We're bringing it back to life. Let it be known that Chris and I are seeing Wonka later today. I am recording this on Saturday, uh, December 16th, and we are seeing Wonka at 4 o'clock this afternoon. It's true. Wonka, the movie musical Hollywood does not want you to know, is a movie musical. I cannot wait to hear the, the gasps of surprise when Timothée Chalamet starts singing I assume that he has the opening number. Maybe he doesn't. I would be surprised if that was the case. Okay, so we're we're going to tell you all about Wonka when we come back in January, all right? I'll have a full report on Wonka then, all right? We, we recently... <laughs> We we watched another movie musical just last night. We paid $10.89 for the privilege, quote-unquote, to rent Journey to Bethlehem. That's right. I I never saw it on the big screen, which was my initial dream, but we did see it on a a big TV screen, so that's close, right? I have to say the results were uninspiring. Stick around until after the outro music. I'm gonna play the entirety of the opening number from that movie, which is known as Mary's Getting Married. It is a, it is just as ridiculous as I thought it would be, and uh, be 
on the lookout, keep your ears open for a certain attempt at rhyming the word romantic with traumatic. Romantic, traumatic. I don't think that's a soft rhyme. I don't think that's really much of a rhyme at all. I think we need to try a little bit harder than that. And I have uh, I have a third movie musical that I need you to be aware of. I have not seen this in full. I've only seen the trailer and a couple of clips. Urkel Saves Santa the Movie. That is an animated direct-to-digital release from Warner Brothers. It, it stars Jaleel White as Steve Urkel. He's saving Santa, who is a Yeti. Santa is a Yeti in this movie, and who do you think plays Yeti Santa? Well, I I, I think if you if you could be handed a thousand guesses, you would never ever hit upon the name Larry Owens. That's right. The star of A Strange Loop is Yeti Santa in the animated Steve Urkel movie musical. What's going on? How are we managing our money? How are we doing in terms of... I, I, it seems so difficult to be a successful actor in any sense of the word successful. I, I am very much glad that I decided to dip out and not bash my head against that wall because I, I, I can only assume the paycheck for playing Yeti Santa in Urkel Saves Santa the movie has got to be an insult to Larry Owens. So uh, that's all I have for you uh, in terms of this opening segment. It is now time to present the show facts for our latest subject, Skyscraper. Show me the show facts, you say? Okay, I'll do it. Ho, 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 let's do it. Skyscraper was a 1966 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on November 13th, 1965 at the Lundfontein Theater and ran for 248 performances. Dorothy Kilgallen, Kilgallen, maybe? Uh, I don't know. Dorothy Kilgallen, let's go with that, of the New York Journal American, reviewed a preview performance of the first act that doubled as a benefit for charity and this was a this was a controversial decision when producer Howard Lindsay objected to Kilgallen's decision to review the show before it, before it had officially opened Kilgallen wrote a follow-up column claiming she had done nothing wrong and then when you read about this incident in Wikipedia uh, per Wikipedia quote she died 2 weeks later quote Wikipedia, are we supposed to draw a connection between the two things? She wrote a follow-up column in which she refused to apologize, and then she died two weeks later? It seems like you're trying to create a... Uh Oh, a corollary there that I don't I don't think that exists. But let's keep moving. I just wanted to throw that in. That that's not the last time we'll hear from Dorothy Kilgallen. She will come back, okay? The book of Skyscraper was written by Peter Stone. The music was written by James Jimmy Van Heusen of Walking Happy Fame, and the lyrics are by oh ah uh, Jimmy's collaborator, Sammy Kahn, of course, of Walking Happy Fame. The basis for this show is Dream Girl, the 1945 play by Elmer Rice that ran for 348 performances on Broadway, of course. The director of Skyscraper, Cy Fewer, who also directed Walking Happy, musical director John Lesko, orchestrations Fred Werner, choreographer Michael Kidd, scenic design Robert Randolph of Walking Happy fame, lighting design Robert Two Checks Randolph. Get that money 
Robert, sound design, no sound design, but we have a costume designer, Theoni V. Aldredge, and the original Broadway cast of Skyscraper was as follows. We have Julie Harris, Peter L. Marshall, Charles Nelson Riley, Donald Byrne, Nancy Cushman, Rex Everhart, Dick O'Neill, Leslie Stewart, John Ananya, Ken Ayers, Barbara Beck, Walter P. Brown, Trudy Carson, Ray Chabot, Paula Chappelle, Marilyn Charles, Georgia Creton, uh, Seal Deli, Seal Deli, Suzanne France, Christian Grey. There's an actor in here named Christian Grey. Hey, when are we getting a Fifty Shades musical, by the way? I'm not talking about a parody. I want a straight-faced adaptation of those books. Frank Wildhorn, get on the horn. Start making some deals. I'm not done with his cast, by the way. We have Curtis Hood, Lauren Jones, Gene Kelton, Marianne Carrick, Ray Kirkner, Daryl Natara, Randy Phillips, Renata Powers, Paul Sorvino, Bill Starr, Kent Thomas, and... Here are all of the people who wound up in the Walking Happy cast. Walking Happy alumni. Future alumni, I should say. Eleanor Burquist. Eleanor Burquist. Bert Beer. Gene Gavin. Ellen Graff. Richard Cortez. And Casper Roos. Okay? They were in both shows. Congratulations to everyone involved. That's a total, by the way, of 37 actors. That's two more than the company of Walking Happy. For all of you math nerds sitting next to your abacuses. I want to dig into the resumes for a few of the people I just mentioned. Our star, Julie Harris, played Sally Bowles in the original 1951 production, the Broadway production, of John Van Druten's I Am a Camera, which served as a basis for future subject Cabaret. Harris won her first Tony for that performance and would go on to win five more, including a Lifetime Achievement Award and acting awards for The Lark, 40 Carats, The Last of Mrs. Lincoln, and The Bell of Amherst. Put a pin in The Bell of Amherst. Curtis Hood appeared as a replacement in the original Broadway production of Cabaret. Look at me over here connecting the dots, eh? Peter Marshall returned to Broadway in the 1980s as a replacement for the role of George, George, in Jerry Herman's La Cage à Faux, future subject La Cage à Faux. Charles Nelson Riley, who we adore, starred in a previous subject of the podcast, Jerry Herman's Hello, Dolly, and will be back on our radar when we talk about Bye Bye Birdie and how to succeed in business without really trying. Riley would go on to direct Julie Harris in three Broadway plays, The Bell of Amherst, Take the Pin Out, that ran for 116 performances in 1976, Break a Leg, which opened and closed on the same night in 1979, and The Gin Game, which ran for 144 performances in 1997. Rex Everhart appeared in three previous subjects of the podcast, Woman of the Year, 1776, and Chicago. We'll hear from him again when we talk about How Now Dow Jones. Dick O'Neill will reappear on the podcast when we discuss Promises, Promises. His final Broadway credit, the 1972 play Tough to Get Help, also opened and closed on the same night. Hey, do you think he commiserated with Charles a few years later? I like to think so. And finally, Paul Sorvino, who appears with Paula Chappelle in a pre-filmed sequence in Skyscraper, he is best known for his film and television credits, including Goodfellas, The Rocketeer, and Law and Order. Additional Broadway credits include Bajor, Bajor, and that championship season. That championship season. Harder to say than you might think. Hey, did anyone... Hey, hey! 
Did anyone read that championship season in college? Were you required to read that play? Not a great play, am I right? Not great. Tony nods. Skyscraper was nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical, of course, but also Best Actress in a Musical, Julie Harris, Best Scenic Design, Robert Randolph, Best Choreography, Michael Kidd, and Best Direction of a Musical, Cy Fuhrer. As always, I, I do my best to try and pronounce all of these names as correctly as I can, although mistakes are inevitably made. So, uh, for anyone next to their abacus, that's five nominations, zero awards. At the end of the day, what is going on? We are on a real losing streak these days when it comes to our main feed subjects. Someone please win a Tony Award. Ah, let's talk about the plot. The following is based on a summary I found over at the Guide to Musical Theater. Oh, our old friends over at the Guide. And this summary may have led me astray on points, both major and minor. I will try to address those points when I can. We try our best here at the Musical Man in all ways, in all respects. And as they sing in today's subject, everybody has the right to be wrong once. Um, we are we are probably wrong on several occasions in uh, God knows how many episodes, but again, we try our best. Act one. We fade in on Georgina Allerton, a scrappy, civic-minded New Yorker with one wild imagination. While snoozing away in the brownstone she owns, that's important, she owns the brownstone she lives in, Georgina dreams of English cavaliers and Apaches fighting for her love. Okay. Georgina's mother interrupts the battle with a literal wake-up call. Ring, ring. Ring, ring, Georgina. This is your mother. When are you gonna come? to your senses and sell that brownstone to the Bushman Construction Company. They're offering $150,000. You can't stand in their way forever, you know. That new skyscraper is going to get built one way or the other. So take my advice and wise up, honey. Georgina refuses to heed her mother's advice. Preserving historical buildings is one of her passions. She can't let those Bushman fat cats push her around. Our pie-in-the-sky heroine envisions herself winning the Pulitzer Prize for urban prevention. But even the moony sycophants she conjures can't help but worry about her. Ah, Georgina, they say, for Pete's sake, listen to your mother, take the money and run! Near Georgina's brownstone stands a shack, out of which the Bushman brothers, Bert and Tim, run their construction company. No, no, that's not quite right. I believe Tim is living his own life as an architect, while Bert toils under the thumb of P.J. Bushman, their father. If I seem confused on this point, it's because I am, but none of this is terribly important, so don't, don't worry about it. Bert can't understand why Georgina keeps refusing his $150,000 offer. Tim is more concerned with how the skyscraper will affect New York's skyline. Skyline! The architectural design of this building calls for a pimply metal exterior. If the Bushmans aren't careful, they could give the Big Apple a permanent case of acne. Stanley, the foreman of the Bushman construction site, reprimands his crew for ignoring a pair of gals who happen to walk by. Whatever happened to chivalry? Whatever happened to class? The next time a woman walks by, I want you guys to smile, whistle, shout, 
and otherwise proposition, eh? To the fullest extent of the law. It's only decent. Georgina storms into the shack and, mistaking Tim for a steel worker, orders him to explain why the company has turned off her electricity and punctured her gas pipes. Tim is smitten. He invites our heroine to dinner, and she immediately rejects him. I'm not sure if we ever find out what's going on with the electricity and the pipes, though I wouldn't be surprised if Bert was screwing with Georgina out of spite. Georgina's small business, a struggling antique shop known as the Litterbug, is located on the ground floor of the Brownstone. Her assistant, Roger Summerhill, wants to be a filmmaker, but no one is interested in financing his projects. Georgina's feelings for Roger are revealed when she casts him as a cool and commanding English Lothario in her latest flight of fancy. Bert visits the Litterbug with a new offer for Georgina, $160,000. Take it or leave it, toots. Georgina tells Bert to shit bricks. Roger strikes a bargain with Bert. If he can convince our heroine to sell the brownstone, Bert will toss him the dough he needs for his movie. Or maybe it's a film festival? Not important. Tim invites Georgina to dinner a second time. She tells him to shit bricks before escaping into another fantasy, one in which she plays Scarlett O'Hara and Roger plays Rhett Butler. When it becomes clear the litterbug has managed to log another day without attracting a single customer, our heroine pretends to be a phenomenally successful and wealthy businesswoman. A new day dawns in Manhattan. Georgina travels to the Knickerbocker Auction Gallery, where she hopes to purchase a fresh supply of antiques. She is confronted by Roger, who claims the brownstone does not date back to the days of Rutherford B. Hayes, as she has always assumed. It's not a historic building, Georgina. I would encourage you to sell. Georgina is unaffected by this news. She imagines herself bidding on Tim, of all things. And upon returning to the brownstone, she is shocked to find him dangling from a crane outside her window. Tim asks her out a third time, and she begrudgingly accepts. Act 2. Tim and Georgina dine at the Gaiety, a bustling delicatessen. Our heroine orders a pastrami sandwich on toasted raisin bread with lettuce and mayonnaise. The customers are disgusted, but she pays them no mind, having already recast the deli as a fine French restaurant in her noggin. Wee oui, wee! Oui. I would estimate Georgina spends about two to three hours a day engaging with the world as it actually exists. God love her. Would that we all could, am I right? After a movie at the Lincoln Center, Tim invites Georgina to walk around along, to walk along the girders of the Bushman skyscraper. From their vantage point at the top of the world, Tim explains that NYC is home to all sorts of buildings, both beautiful and ugly, and how there's more than one way to build a city. Georgina begins to question her long-held beliefs. Side note, the movie Tim and Georgina see at the Lincoln Center, that's the pre-filmed sequence with Paula Chappelle and Paul Sorvino, right? Oh, right, uh, that's what I say, right. Roger proposes to Georgina out of desperation. Sell the brownstone and run away with me, darling. Oh, the places will go. Roger is selling a fantasy. Tim urges Georgina to reject fantasy for once and face reality. The brownstone is nothing more than a hideout, a way for Georgina to avoid making something real. I love you, he says. I love you, Georgina. Don't run away with Roger. Marry me, Tim Bushman, instead. 
Georgina tells Tim to shit bricks. Our heroine falls asleep and dreams about Tim, Roger, and the brownstone. She realizes Tim has been right all along, but is it too late to win his heart? No! Georgina wakes up, rebuffs Roger, and agrees to marry Tim. Their wedding night is spent in the brownstone on the eve of its destruction. Huzzah! The fat cats have won the day! Or... Wait, maybe the building is saved in the end? The final number would imply Georgina is still on the side of preserving history. But the guide to musical theater says otherwise. If I've made any mistakes during this segment, please understand, I take no responsibility. That's the new policy. No responsibility shall be placed upon my shoulders. For the purposes of this week's episode, uh, there was no Tony Awards performance, so we're not, we, we don't have to talk about it because it doesn't exist. I did listen to the 1965 original Broadway cast album of Skyscraper, as well as the 1965 studio album Skyscraper, the hit songs from the Broadway music musical sung by the Holly Ridge Singers. Well, okay, I, I listened to nine of the 11 tracks on that album, at least. Hey, what's the story, YouTube user? Musicalities, where are those other two tracks? I, I'm not really yelling at you. Thank you for putting up this album. I'm sure there were half a dozen white people who fell head over heels for this album uh, back in the 60s. Half a dozen straight white people. Half a dozen closeted white people who refer to their husbands and wives as father or mother. Mother, put on that record we like. Is there more jello in the icebox, mother? Your husband is sucking cock outside the Tasty Freeze, lady. Open your eyes. That's it. That's all I did in terms of research for Skyscraper. It's now time to talk about the score of Skyscraper. Let's begin with the overture. You know I love an overture. Let's hear that.
Looking back, the overture from last week's subject, Walking Happy, was the high point of my experience with that Sammy Kahn and Jimmy Van Heusen score. Almost everything that followed proved to be a disappointment, and I found myself picking at nits because I was so bored by the material. I, I do not want to be bored. I, I want to be delighted. Luckily, Skyscraper's damn near first-rate overture proved to be the first of many delights lying in wait for me this week. We begin with that quick succession of thunderous Olympian drum blasts before waltzing into the arena of Rogers and Astaire. Suddenly, we're all suit and tie. Suddenly, we're all putting on the Ritz in our best ball gowns. And then, with about half a minute to go, we downshift into full lounge lizard. Bada bing, bada boom. Welcome to my world-class casino. Do not make eye contact with Sinatra or he will have you killed. This is bright, bold, and gay in every sense of the word. I admire any overture that seeks to evoke the hustle and bustle of big city America. And while this may not hold a candle to, say, the, the Guys and Dolls overture, it certainly captured my attention and set the stage for long-term success. My compliments to our orchestrator, Fred Werner, who no doubt would have been instrumental eh, to the construction eh, of this piece. Construction! It's about a skyscraper! It's a sort of a twist. You're a day somnambulist. You walk away from underneath your hat. <laughs> but everyone daydreams it's part of the human condition. That's right, Miss Allerton but they don't do it all the time. Well, I certainly don't do it all the time. It could be just a crunch, but you're dreaming much too much. We'll have to regulate your thermostat. Are you trying to tell me I'm a nut doctor? No, I'm the nut doctor. You're a nut patient. Well, you'll just have to excuse me, but I don't think any of you know what you're talking about. What's so abnormal about imagination? What's so peculiar about preoccupation? What's so eccentric about and makes it such a crime if I'm a person who runs away from troubles and hassles, preferring to spend the day in Spanish castles? What makes a dreary world seem bright, an occasional flight of fancy? Some people get the shakes without their coffee breaks. They miss a cup, they're screaming. Right, some gather nervously to sip a cup of tea. Mm. A cup of tea's daydreaming. If I start drifting away, I beg your pardon. But I love lifting away just like a kite. So why in the world should anyone look askance at the fun and delight of a perfectly innocent occasional flight of fun? Why others stay in their ruts? I love to wander. Why others keep to their huts? I'm somewhere yonder. And if the pressures become a little bit too tight, I might take off on a mental cruise to hideaway places where lovers I pick and choose seek my embraces. And is it dreaming? Well, not quite. Occasional flight of fancy. Some people cure their ills by taking lots of pills. I think that my way's wiser 
A dream or two a day can get me through a day. What better tranquilizer? If I start drifting away, you have a pardon. But I love lifting away, just like the kite. So why in the world should anyone look askance? Are you telling me I'm a nut doctor? No, I'm the nut doctor. You're a nut patient. I think there should be a three to five second pause in the wake of that punchline. We simply, we simply must allow Georgina to stare at this man for as long as reasonably possible, because that is where the magic is, in the pause, in that unwavering eye contact. The conical director's cap is on, folks. Teacher put me in the corner because I'm so good at being a director. By the end of an occasional flight of fancy, I was completely on board with Julie Harris and her portrayal of Georgina. With Skyscraper, Harris builds upon Harris! Harris builds upon the blissfully dotty foundation set by Judy Holliday and Vivian Blaine in Bells Are Ringing and Guys and Dolls. We've got ourselves another true blue goofball ingenue, and you know I adore a goofball ingenue. Sign me up. Harris's voice may not have the the butter cookie sweetness of a Gertrude Lawrence or the nitroglycerin power of an Ethel Merman, but there's no denying she works wonders with the instrument at her disposal. The husky, borderline gruff quality of the vocals pairs well with the character's droll sensibility, and I love how that persona shudders and cracks in the face of larger emotions and higher, more challenging notes. Those sudden leaps to the high end of Harris's range reflect Georgina's tendency to fly off the handle. I think it's neat. I dig how Harris rides the word fancy whenever she reaches the end of that phrase, flight of fancy. And you know I'm busting out some extra shovels when everyone comes together for that final sustained note. Because I'm digging it, baby. I need more shovels. I demand an encore's revival of Skyscraper ASAP. Stat. Forget about staging Walking Happy. No one's asking for that, but I am asking for this. Get out, Bert. Get out, Bert. You're much too alert, Bert. Get out, Bert, before you get hurt, Bert. Retreat, Bert. Retreat, Bert. There's more than the meat, Bert. You're missing the tasty dessert, Bert. I'm only saying what you know is true. The race that you are running's running you. You're smart, Tim, you wise, Tim, but just realized, Tim, I still have to answer to him, Tim. While you, Mr. Architect, do what you enjoy. Because of you, Mr. Architect, I'm P.J. Bushman's favorite whipping boy, 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 oh boy, oh boy, 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 boy. Bert, if you're chained to a job and the job isn't fun, run, run, run for your life. Put the knife to the strings, there are things to be done. Run, run, run for your life. Every building is swarming with people conforming who slave till the day they die. 
though you make it, you can't take it. If you could, when you get there, there's nothing to buy. Buy. Pull the wool from your eyes, there's a prize to be won. Run, run, run from the pill. When old dad throws a barb, instead of taking by carb, take, take, take to the hills. Where the streams are just gleaming and practically teeming with beautiful rainbow trout. What have you done, done, done for your life? I'm saying run, run, run for your life before the fun and the laughter and the trout. Should I quit my job? Uh, I mean, because I only ask, I, 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 I do take, I take a lot of bicarb, that's why I ask. So much bicarb, I'm constantly buying and taking bicarb. I would estimate 40% of my paycheck goes to bicarb, and that, that's too much for, for bicarb. Uh, a lot to consider over the holiday break, but allow me to focus on the score. Uh, I find it hard to believe Peter Marshall never appeared on Broadway between, between his tenure with Skyscraper and that replacement run in the 80s revival of Lacage. Why, why, do you find, uh, why do you find it hard to believe, Jonathan? Because the man is a star! In the role of Tim Bushman, Marshall casually wields a vocal style that's one part comic, one part crooner. That half-drunk rat pack bark, that shit is hot. As Miss Paris Hilton would say, ah, that shit is hot. But Marshall's comedic, Marshall's comedic instinct keeps his feet on the ground where the earth is nice and salty. Sinatra would have me killed if I implied he wasn't the coolest cat in the room. But Marshall isn't afraid to get a little zany on our asses. Run For Your Life is one of those numbers I love to talk about because it does more with two minutes than most do with three, four, or five. The ride is smooth and fun and thorough, like we really did take a tour of these characters and the moment they're living in. Sammy, Jimmy, ah, you done good. Come here, fellas. Let me welcome you back into the fold. But, ha, oh, ha, don't get, uh, don't get comfortable, okay? I could chuck you back into the doghouse at a moment's notice. Capiche? Keep your shoes on if you know what's good for you. Oh, Sammy, I do have one suggestion for you. It's about uh, this one part. Quote, put a knife to the strings, there are things to be done, quote, and this is no good, this is no good, try this instead, quote, put a knife to the strings, there are flings to be flung, quote, there are things to be done, I mean, it's, I don't think we could get more general if we tried, am I wrong? It sounds like a placeholder lyric that never got replaced. Flings to be flung? That's nicer. Write it down, Sammy. Flings to be flung? Do we have time to hear the Holly Ridge singers perform Run For Your Life? The Holly Ridge singers, ladies and germs.
people could make Radiohead's Creep sound like Leslie Gore's Sunshine, Lollipops, and Rainbows. Boom! Ha! <laughs> you burnt, Holly Ridge singers! Fuck you! Local 403 quickly collapses under the weight of its grade school sexism, which coats the material like a, like a blue carpet of mold. But it is funny how the number acknowledges a, a sort of <laughs> a reductive, streamlined 60s aesthetic, quote-unquote, for what, maybe a combined 15 to 20 seconds? Uh, look, this is... This is uh, this is the new sound. Young people are always saying, yeah, 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 yeah. We got to put that in there. We got to capitalize on that. But then the moment passes and we go right back to the ring-a-ding-dings and the old school Broadway showmanship. God, oh God knows Con and Van Heusen can't stay away for too long. They're too indebted to their influences. The aforementioned Rat Pack shows like Guys and Dolls, How to Succeed, and The Pajama Game. And if we learned any anything from a previous subject, Blood Brothers, it's that a debt must be paid. Shoes upon the table, and a spider's been killed. Someone broke the looking glass. <laughs> Miss Allison, how about having dinner with me? Have dinner with you? I can't even stand talking to you. What are you so sore about? I am not sore. Then how about dinner? Oh, Mr. Steelworker, if you happen to be a Pulitzer Prize winner, I wouldn't have dinner with you. If you promised that you would bring along your brinner, I wouldn't have dinner with you. If you promised to be so proper you'd make a bishop seem a sinner, I wouldn't have dinner with you. If, Mr. Steelworker, I thought you could be as charming as, let's say, Cornelia Otis Skinner, I wouldn't have dinner with you. Assuming you were so intelligent that you made every prominent scientist seem like a grade school beginner, I wouldn't have dinner with you. Mr. Steelworker, if I was shriveling up from malnutrition and the doctor said I would drop dead if I didn't eat anything, and I didn't have a friend in the world or a penny to my name and I was too weak to telephone the Salvation Army and growing thinner and thinner and thinner, I wouldn't have dinner with you. What I mean is... The bomb went off, and we were the only two to survive, and you are the last man on earth, the last man alive. I'd find something better to do. I would absolutely, positively not, but definitely not have dinner with you. Well, I'm certainly glad you're not sore. Oh, understand one thing. 
you and I are As opposite as earth and sky are Just like December and July are You and I are Opposite as ceiling is to floor Opposite as window is to door Opposite as charming is to bore As the perfect pair of contraire Our two goals are As opposite as Greeks from Poles are As opposite as heels from soles are Our two goals are Opposite as any him and her could ever be But it's a fact, dear Opposites attract, dear and it must be so, cause I sort of glow when you're opposite me. Really? The whole rhymes with dinner gag in the first half of Opposites is solid. I really like it, especially in the way uh, Georgina's setups become sweatier as time goes on, sweatier, more protracted. Me, I'm partial to this bit. Quote, if you promised that you would bring along Yule Brenner, I wouldn't have dinner with you. Quote, we also get a reference to Cornelia Otis Skinner, the writer-slash-actress who toured the United States with her original sketch material from 1926 through 1929. We are going so far out of our way to make these rhymes a reality, and I respect the legwork. Lauren Bacall could have played the part of Georgina. I have almost no doubts about that. Julie Harris strikes a fantastic balance between Judy Holliday's Lemonade Fizz and Bacall's Black Coffee Bite. It makes one hell of a combination. It makes four one hell of a, com <laughs> a combination, I should say. Remember Dorothy Kilgallen, the columnist who wrote about Skyscraper before it had a chance to open? Naughty, naughty. This is how she described Harris in her review. Quote, the show contains Julie Harris quite inexplicably, since she is not a musical comedy performer. Quote, ha ha, Dorothy, I'm, I'm terribly sorry, but I must ask you to leave my tasteful dinner party. Shoo, boo, shoo, shoo, shoo. As far as songwriting is concerned, Opposites does lose points for being transparently, some might say aggressively derivative. I am aware the earth and sky are opposites. Thank you. A child could have told me that. I don't, I don't need to pay Broadway ticket prices to hear that. Why not drill down into these characters and define what sets them apart from each other? Actually do the work of getting specific. While we're here, are we really saying windows and doors are opposites? The window, the door, those are opposites? That juxtaposition is as universally accepted as December and July? Okay, and as, as so long as we're docking points, the following lyrics hit me like a pipe to the temple. Quote, our two goals are as opposite as Greeks from Poles are. Quote, what? Sammy, Jimmy, wh what are you doing? Get back in that doghouse, you goddamn dummies. If we ever revive Skyscraper over at Encores, changing those lyrics will have to be a day one, minute one priority. Here's something to consider. Quote, here's a substitute. My suggestion for a new lyric. Quote, 
our two goals are as opposite as hills from holes are. Quote, on the one hand, it's awful. On the other hand, on the other hand, it's not racist. Listening to the white as a communion wafer Holly Ridge singers sing about Greeks and Poles, that is a bone-chilling experience, I must say. It, it felt like I was eavesdropping on a clan meeting. Uh, Mr. Bushman, suppose I volunteered to get Miss Allerton's house for you. Well, what's in it for you, Mr. Summerhill? Me? Why, Mr. Bushman, I'm surprised at you. As I view it, the deal's a pie that's been sliced in two. Half goes to her, half goes to you. What about you? What about you? It's a gem of a deal, and surely you must concur. One slice for you, one slice for her. What about you? What about you? I only seek what is left, so to speak. Uh -oh. I seek what all altruistic men seek. Uh -huh. If you have a question to ask, please do. Only one little question. Mm -hmm. What about you? What about you? What about you? <laughs> Mr. Bushman, when you were a small boy and your mother used to bake a cake, didn't she give you the batter that was left at the bottom of the bowl? Yeah. But when she took the cake out of the oven, wasn't it all there? Yeah. And when you eat a piece of pie, isn't there always that one little piece that's left on the plate that nobody cares about that always gets thrown away? Well, that's all I want from you, Mr. Bushman. That one little piece that's left on the plate that no one ever, ever will miss. Let the others buy for the bigger piece of pie. Just the crust. What's the angle? What's the pitch? Just the crust. Where's the joker? What's the switch? Apple, peach, or plum? You can have the filling chum. Just the crust. What's the gimmick? What's the fleece? Just the crust. What I mean is, where's his piece? I'm one of those rare individuals contented with just the residuals. I'm happy to take what you leave. It's better to give than receive. I see a tear. He's too sincere. I'll reward your trust. With that brownstone pile of bricks and dust. Bushman's law is never trust. Just the crust. It's a law I can't adjust. Just the crust. But consider it, I must. <laughs> Just the crust. Mr. Bushman, I have decided to let your corporation endow my, uh, your film festival, the Bushman Film Festival. You see, for $35,000. Don't tell me. The crust. By George, I think you've got it. I'm the man to trust. Gold is not the thing for which I lost. Machiavelli, your passé. Just the crust. I have met your match today. Just the crust. Cause it's your day's crust to say. Just the crust. 
Oh, Charles Nelson Riley, you sound fantastic on this track. Ah, just the crust. As far as glass closet queers of the 60s and 70s go, I, I could never really choose between Mr. Riley and Mr. Paul Lind, but Charles makes a case for his preeminence on this track. The fluttering, the flouncing, the mincing. Shove that in my face and down my throat. I wish my flames could burn that bright. Now, I did consider putting this in my notes. I wanted to say the fluttering, the flouncing, the mincing, and then I wanted to do a play on the word the bra- I wanted to say the braggadocio of it all. That's what I wanted to say, but I wanted to replace brag with a word that it, that rhymes with brag. So maybe you know where I'm going with this. Uh, trigger warning, I'm about to, you know, casually drop a, a slur, but hey, you know, as as we like to say, we, we kind of own the word. So I, I, what I really wanted to say was the fluttering, the flouncing, the mincing, the sheer thagadocio of it all. It's right there, and it's I love it. Oh, I wish my flames. Did I say this already? I wish my flames could burn that bright. And I like to think Mr. Riley is in my head saying, they can and they will. Jonathan, you have the power. Damn right I do, Mr. Riley. Damn right. <laughs> Charles Nelson Riley. Oh, here's a quote. Quote, Charles Nelson Riley does everything but set fire to his trousers to get laughs where, <laughs> where none are written in the libretto. Quote, Dorothy Kilgallen, why are you still here? I thought I told you to shoot. I'm not exactly clear on the game of Just the Crust. Roger is asking for a kickback from Bert in exchange for getting Georgina out of the way. And Bert is baffled by this proposal for some reason. He says, hey, what's the deal? What's the gimmick? What's in it for you? What's in it for him? My dude, Roger wants money. He wants you to give him money. Is Bert a dummy? Are Roger's cake and pie metaphors too fanciful for this meat and potatoes lug? I require a clarification on this matter before rehearsals begin. Yes, that's right. I have deemed to direct the Encore's revival of Skyscraper. It's true. Please, uh, please direct all of my checks to my P.O. box in Switzerland. Ah, uh, daddy's gotta get paid. <laughs> Only in New York, only in New York, every day another building meets the eye. Only in New York, only in New York, can you take an elevator to the sky? Only in New York, only in New York, can you touch whatever cloud is passing by? Only in New York, only in New York, only in New York, forgive us the blasting, rattling the plates and jars. Today it's a hundred floors, tomorrow a thousand floors, slowly but surely the stars more than one way there's more than one way more than just one way to the stars this way of mine suits me just fine more than one day, light years from Monday, climbing to Venus and to Mars. I'm going where the air is rare. Any day, any week, you can see what's happening, see what's happening here. Take a look, take a peek, and you'll see what's happening any evening that's clear. more than
one hill, but make it I will, admitting it's still a long, long climb. But I've got nothing but time. You may recall a famous street called Wall was once no street at all but just a wall. The biggest building there was maybe just two stories tall. That's all. Then the Flatiron Building, 21 stories. The Metropolitan, the Singer, the Woolworth, the Chrysler Building, and the Empire State, 102 stories. But I've got a dream that I dream each night A building I'll build till it's out of sight Like no other skyscraper built before And when I want to get close to the stars I'll walk through the door and say to the man Top floor! Breaking news, dear listeners, I only just realized who Peter Marshall sounds like, and it's Harry Connick Jr. Strike that, reverse it. If anything, Harry Connick Jr. sounds like Peter Marshall. Of course, they're both aping Sinatra, but if I have to listen to an imitator, I prefer fewer degrees of separation from the genuine model. Give me a guy like Peter, who's only one generation removed. That's the way. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, I like it. Marshall continued to impress me with his rendition of More Than One Way, which you just heard, which papers over a case for urban sprawl with moonlit Mactonite swagger. I want to build a skyscraper that pierces heaven itself. I want to take the elevator to the top floor, step out on my balcony, and tell God himself to eat my ass. Yes, sure, whatever you want, Tim. All All I want you to do is sing to me, my angel of music. Perhaps I should reconsider directing Skyscraper, considering my concept for this number, which would find Tim, Georgina, and the construction crew flying over the house on huge steel beams. Red steel beams. Do not let me anywhere near a Broadway budget. Trust me, you would only be playing with fire. And they would never do that anyway, because encore stagings are concert stagings. They would never allow for this. No, we don't do sets, you maniac. (laughs) I could just imagine people on the street. Have you heard about Jonathan's revival of Skyscraper? Oh, they lost another actor. The poor kid's in traction over at St. Benedette's. Broke every bone in his body after falling on a tourist from Poughkeepsie. God only knows why the show is still open. I hear Jonathan is in with the mob. Uh (laughs) Oh, the tourist from Poughkeepsie? Oh, she's dead. What is the second greatest industry in the world, not counting General Motors? IBM, U.S. Steel, or DuPont, Yves Saint Laurent. 
Haute Couture. Haute Couture. It's what makes a lady feel so secure. Who wants to turn female fashions nudie? A Rudy, indecent exposures now a stylish duty. Hot couture, hot couture. Proves courage has lots of allure. I met a girl, a childlike Valentine. She dressed like twelve, but she was fifty-nine. Nowadays you can't be Business has the greatest cash intake in the world, not counting Aqueduct, the IRT, chock full of natural American talent, tell Norman Norrell, or perhaps Coco Chanel. I want to break open the dictionary and provide some clarifications here. So the, the proper pronunciation of the, the name of this song would be Haute Couture, Haute Couture, versus Stanley's pronunciation, which is Haute Couture. So coup versus ca, couture versus couture. Oxford's definition is as follows, quote, expensive, fashionable clothes produced by leading fashion houses, quote. I have no idea why Stanley is singing about this, but, you know, haute couture is one of, uh, it's one of two numbers in Skyscraper that sound like they could have come from just about any book musical or, uh, probably more accurately, any review. The second of those two numbers, the gaiety, actually arrives earlier in the show and is all about hungry customers at a crowded deli. The gaiety is sort of like coffee break from How to Succeed in Business with half the charm. Haute Couture is sort of like anything goes, what with all of the these days talk coming from Stanley and his crew. I chose to feature Haute over the gaiety because I like the way Rex Everhart snorts the title like a proud Papa Warthog. Haute Couture! Again, this song could have been sitting in Connor Van Houston's trunk for a decade, for all I know, and, it, it, you know, it's pretty stiff on its own. But Everhart and the company make it wiggle, I dare say. P.S. Along with Stanley and the construction workers, the IBDB states that Haute Couture is sung by a group of models? Where did the models come from? I'm glad the guide to musical theater exists, as it often supplies me with plot summaries that are more detailed than the ones I find on Wikipedia, but this particular summary is like Swiss cheese, honey. It's like a Louis Sature novel. Such or? Such or novel. It's got holes. That's what I'm saying, baby. And that's all I have to say about the score of Skyscraper, so now we're gonna, we're gonna throw it. We're gonna throw it to our fine, fine sponsor, Five, six, seven, eight, coffee. Take it away. Five, six, seven, eight. Oh, 
how do you do there? Hello, it's me, Maggie Hobson. Well, I suppose I should say Maggie Mosopa. Yeah, oh, thank you very much. Ah, congratulations to you, Maggie, is what you say. And I say to you all, thank you very much for the congratulations. You know, it's difficult. It's difficult being a successful businesswoman because, you know, men don't take you seriously a lot of the time. And I've had so much man trouble throughout my life. And what I've found, if I may give you a bit of advice, is sit down, have a pint. Hey, hey, Charlie, let's get a pint for my friend over here. Oh, come on, you can't be at Moonrakers without a pint. You have to have a point. Oh, you've got to have a point. All right, so what was I saying? Oh, yes, if I may give you a bit of advice, dearie. If you're ever finding yourself dealing with man troubles, that's what I like to describe them as, what I recommend, five, six, seven, eight to-go pouches. Are you familiar with this new product? From five six seven eight coffee, it's called again for your for your reference five six seven eight to go pouches. Now, me father, me father was a drunk who fell down a corn shoot. You know how embarrassing that is to have the whole town say, Maggie, we heard about your father, your pa, he fell down the corn shoot. I was so embarrassed, and so I broke out some five six seven eight coffee pouches, five six seven eight to go pouches, and I gave them to me. Pa I said, Pa. Here, try this. I got him hooked on the coffee, the delicious coffee, within each of these pouches. Here, he's a sucker for him. And now look at him, sober as a judge. In fact, he is a judge. Oh, thank you. You say congratulations to you, Maggie. Oh, thank you very much. And let's take my husband. Will as another example. He's a feckless dweeb. I know. I know he's a feckless dweeb. He was unfuckable to a certain degree. But then I got him hooked on the coffee, the five, six, seven, eight to-go pouches. And now look at him. He shakes like a leaf, but he fucks me like a rabbit. Oh, it's delightful. And what about my first husband? Oh, Colin Rasher. Colin Rasher? You never heard of him in Walking Happy, did you? No, you didn't. Yes, it's true. I did have a husband. A secret husband that nobody knew about. But, uh, you know, I got him hooked on the coffee because I was bored with him. He was a, oh, he was a, he was a hopeless case. Nothing was ever going to fix that. Oh, he was a grey man. I would describe him as a grey. Man. So I gave him the coffee. I got him hooked on it. He was all hipped up. He didn't know what I was doing. I pushed him down the corn chute in the dark of the night. In the dark of the night I did it. And, you know, he got turned into corn. I turned on the corn machine. He got turned into corn. And everybody ate him. No one knew anything. It's a real Sweeney Todd situation. Ah, huh? yeah, you know that musical, don't you? Yeah, yeah, of course you do. Oh, what do you mean, congratulations? Oh, for getting away from murder. With murder. <laughs> I should say. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, getting away with murder, not as easy as you might think, but five, six, seven, eight, uh, to-go pouches made it a lot easier. Uh, let's raise a point, eh? Uh, to men, if you, can, if you can't figure them out, if you can't fix them, fucking kill them. Ah, uh, cheers! Uh. Final thoughts regarding Skyscraper. I gotta tell you, I have no final thoughts regarding Skyscraper. I am ready for my Christmas vacation to start, so let's keep moving. The 1966, the 1966 winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was Man of La Mancha, and the additional nominees that season were Mame and Sweet Charity. I say Sweet Charity deserves to walk home with the Tony Award for Best Musical. We're taking it away from Man of La Mancha, and we're giving it to 
sweet charity. But you know what this means. Oh, my God. That means, oh, we, we have discussed all of the shows in this set of nominees, which means we get to say hello to an old friend, an old green friend. He's, he's right here. He's sitting right next to me at another microphone. Shrek, take it away, you motherfucker. Shrek. <laughs> How are you doing there? Oh, for God's sake. Sorry. Oh, I know I just started. No, no, no. There's no need for a take two. I've got something between my ass cheeks. Holy shit. Oh, there we go. Oh, what is that? Oh, it's a fucking wine cook. Oh, I suppose I had that up there last night and I forgot to take it out. Oh, it smells right. Here, Jonathan, smell the tip of this wine cook. It was in my arsehole. What do you mean you don't want to smell it? All right, fine. What am I going to do? I'll put it in my little pocket here. My little swamp rag pocket. <laughs> All right, the question we have to ask is which of these shows is going to get in my belly? Well, let's start with, let's start with uh, this, uh, this subject, a uh, skyscraper. I don't know. Fuck this show. Uh, Jonathan, that's great that you love the songs and the dance. But, but if I'm going to ingest a show, it's not going to be one about the skyscraper. I mean, my stomach is pretty much an iron stomach as it is, but I don't want to be eating steel girders for the next 24 to 48 hours. No, fuck that. Fuck Mame too. She helps the South rise again. And you know, Shrek, I'm a progressive. I'm actually running for office. I'm a progressive candidate. And I say, fuck the Confederacy. Fuck you. You lost. Get the fuck over it. Ha ha ha. Yeah, of course, Donkey's gonna be my running mate. What are you talking about? Oh, I find that ooh, when you when you're in business with your lover, nothing can go wrong. <laughs> Isn't that right, Donkey? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sweet charity? No, I'm afraid not. I'm actually trying to cut back on sweets. That's true. Oh, my blood pressure's been a little high. I have to keep that in mind. But, man of La Mancha, I can't resist. Oh, I can't resist the idea of snapping that Don Quixote. That little skinny old white fuck. Well, he's not white, is he, I suppose? No, I like to think... (laughs) Not that I like to think of him. I imagine him for some reason as a white guy. Anyway... Let's say that he, you know, forget it, fuck, shut up. Everyone be quiet, all right? I'm running for office. Strike that from the record. It's not PC of me to make assumptions like that. It makes me look bad. Cut that out of the final edit. Jonathan, I swear to God, I'll chomp your head off like a fucking popsicle stick. You know, like you're a lollipop on the end of a stick. I chomp off the lollipop. That's your head. Anyway, so Don Quixote, where was I? All right, so he's a skinny old bastard, and I snap him into pieces like a stale breadstick, and then I dip him in his own blood and pretend like it's marinara sauce. Ha, ha, ha. Yum, yum, that's what I say. Are you horrified by my vicious nature? Well, you have to get over it. I'm an ogre, lads. <laughs> I might be a progressive ogre, but I've got bloodthirsty tendencies. <laughs> Ah, vote for Shrek in 2024. That's right, I'm running for fucking president. It's gonna happen, whether you like it or not. I've got some aces up my sleeves. All right, gotta go. Uh, here, just, uh, Jonathan, would you mind putting that wine cork back in me butthole? What do you mean, no? Eh, uh, fuck you. All right, I love you, my boy. I'll see you next time. Bye. Donkey, let's get out of here. We've got buttons to hand out. We've got babies to eat. Oh, I mean, kiss. Ha <laughs> ha.
Oh, thank you so much, Shrek, for threatening me. <laughs> My head is like a lollipop on the end of a stick. Not an unfair comparison. So let's rank Skyscraper against all of the other shows we've talked about here on the podcast. As always, if you want to take a look at this ranking of ours, go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod. Access our, our linked, no, 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 our link tree, not our LinkedIn. We don't have a LinkedIn. Access our link tree via the pinned post at patreon.com slash musicalmanpod. Uh, from there, you can access our Google spreadsheet, the second tab of which contains all of that ranking information. Skyscraper is going to land at the 79 slot, number 79 between the Phantom of the Opera at 78 and and the pajama game at number 80. I have one uh, one change I want to announce. Zorba is now at number 81 between the pajama game and an American in Paris. Okay, all right. Skyscraper and Zorba, you're not exactly direct neighbors, but you're on the same street. All right, I hope you get along. You get along, I hope. Show-related ephemera. What do, what do I have for you? I have three pieces of show-related ephemera. Number one, Charles Nelson Ryan appears in a 1973 ad for Big Banana Ink Crayons. Are you ready for it? Let's hear it. Oh, we've gone bananas for Big Banana Ink Crayons. you learn to write a lot of ways. <laughs> oh, we've gone bananas for Big Banana Ink Crayons. The colors are so bright and gay. Oh, you can learn to color, write smooth lines or fat. <laughs> Draw a banana and give it a hat. Okay, bunch, you'll go. Number two, I should say that all of the children in that ad are dressed as bananas, as is Charles Nelson Riley. All of these show-related ephemera pieces I have for you, they're all connected by uh, Mr. Riley. Charles, Mr. Riley, in this second piece, performs a medley of Broadway hits at the 1974 Tony Awards. Let's hear it. How to succeed in business without really trying. This time I was at the 46th Street Theater, and of course that's Frank Lesser's very wonderful I believe in you, which of course I didn't sing because again I was changing upstairs. But I left the door open this time, and I'll never remember on that third floor Bobby Morris's wonderful performance, and I knew he had a hit. But when I came down, I sang again something that made history because this year I introduced the spoken declaration, the emotional outcry. It's all in your book, students. The emotional outcry. The emotional outcry that just precedes a song. Who could ever forget when I introduced from the stage of the 46th Street Theater this declaration? No coffee! I can take my coffee break, my coffee break, my coffee break. If I can take my coffee break, something within me dies. Now forget your pippins, forget your cabarets. This was Fosse at his best. <laughs> Hello, Dolly, the great song that I used to change by upstairs. It's true, was sung by lovely Miss Carol Channing. I'll never forget that opening night. Again, history was made. I remember in rehearsal around the corner, were you there? Hello. I said, 
I said to Gower, who wants to come down the staircase anyway? That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Thank you. First of all, first of all, my eyes are bad. But more importantly, I much rather change. <laughs> you see, because then when I came down, I could come out from under the table in the hat shop and introduce Jerry Herman's immortal perennial triumph, Motherhood March. I stand for motherhood, America, and a hot lunch for orphans. Take off your hat, sir. Betsy Ross's flag is passing due. You see him on the hill at Gettysburg. Need that great triumphal arch. Chills, 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 a career of chills. And then moving on. found me on the, the stage of the Lundfontaine Theater. And this time I played opposite the four-time Tony Award winner, Miss Julie Harris. And you know she was good in this. I'll never forget it. The great skyscraper. And you wonder, I suppose, what that is. I only miss it when I think of her Tony Bennett's great hit, which was sung by the man that does the game shows, Peter something. Marshall, that's right. But you see, while I changed, and I'll never forget that day in the green room, and Jimmy Van Heusen and Sammy Kahn, may I have the house lights and Sammy here? Jimmy Van Heusen and Sammy Kahn came to me, and I suppose you're wondering what they asked me to do. You're right. The 11 o'clock number, the blockbuster, that ties everything up in a red ribbon and sends the audience home humming. I was to do the song. I couldn't believe it. Sammy Kahn, are you here in row Q, please? Sammy? Sammy, this man that gave the world some of his greatest songs. It's magic, time after time. Three coins in the fountain, call me irresponsible. Wrote for me, spare that building. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It was unbelievable, that moment in history. Thank you very much. And Well, there was never any doubt there was no other choice for the role. You see, everybody else was changing. <laughs> I'm scoozy, please. I must explain that the no-no-no's were put in out of town. You see, students, they are not in the original cast score, if you're searching in your libraries, but they are in the cast album, capital 9025432, mono and stereo. Please, that old, tear that old, rare that perfectly falling down old, forgetting my throat. And then finally, from 1978, Charles Nelson Riley and Johnny Carson perform a sketch on The Tonight Show. This is fun. Let's hear it. Sir, welcome to Pleasant Skies. And may I make a personal remark? Certainly. Your hat is done. Thank you very much. May I help you, yes, please, Yes, I'd sir. like a one-way ticket to Chicago on your very next flight. Oh, our very next flight, sir, will be in... Oh, that's six minutes, and that's your... Your wonderful gate 42A. Good, I'll take that flight. <laughs> I'll take now, that. Sir, well, okay, fine, but would that be, sir, the smoking or the non-smoking section, sir, uh, please? Anything, anything. Anything sorry. smoking, sir, or non-smoking? All sir. right, the smoking section. Fine. First class coach or economy, sir? Look, whatever you got, I just have to get to Chicago. I want to get on that plane. First class coach 
or economy, sir? Um, I'll, I'll the economy flight will be fine. Economy section, fine, sir. Now, is that an aisle seat or is that a window? Look, I don't care. It's just important that I make this flight. I've got a business meeting in Chicago. I have to be there. Aisle seat or window, please, sir. Uh, aisle seat. Aisle, aisle seat. Just window. say that again. Aisle seat. Do I detect garlic, sir? <laughs> now, wait a minute. I do, don't I? Well, yes, I just had lunch. Oh, really, sir? Then we'll have to put you in the garlic section. That's it. <laughs> in the economy smoking garlic section now may i ask you sir please yes do you wear jockey <laughs> or boxer shorts well now I... <laughs> that's the most ridiculous well, question. i don't know. think this you makes you any... know sir please tell it all right i wear jockey shorts good thank you jockey short section now sir are you a communist or a non-communist <laughs> I'm a non-communist. Good for you, sir. <laughs> gay or non-gay? Non-gay. What, sir? Non-gay. Oh, oh. <laughs> Not with that hat, sir. <laughs> I just have to get... I know. Can you move this along? I'll move it along, but I detected a blush, sir. All it right. wasn't your hat. Now, Is your belly button an innie or an outie? To determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, Gonks Go Home. That's Gonks, G-O-N-K-S, Gonks Go Home. I, I don't know what a gonk is. I've never, I've never heard of that show. Gonks Go Home. Everyone ready? Then away we go. The subject of our next main feed episode is an enormous, oh, it's an enormous show, and I have been getting ready for this. You have no idea when I started prepping for this. It was so long ago at this point that uh, we have so much more work to do if we're going to get this show ready by January 10th. We are not going to be dropping any new main feed episodes until January 10th. All right, this was the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical back in 1952. It ran for 1,246 performances, and the name of the show is The King and I. Oh my God, we're going to listen to so many albums. I'm going to quote from the book that it's based on. It's going to be insanely long. Such a long episode I have in mind for you. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. You can donate one, three, five, or ten dollars a month. Normally, I would take a moment to break each of those tiers down and tell you what you get within each of those tiers, but you can find all of that information at patreon.com slash musicalmanpod and in the spirit of the holiday season, taking a break, I'm not going to go through all of it this time around. Go to the website, you'll figure it out from there. But I do want to shout out those who donate at least $1 a month. These people get a verbal shout out every time we get together. Thank you. Caroline, Helena, Greg, Andy, Elizabeth, Aaron, Jason, Jack, Vitor, Sydney, Katie, Elena, Anton, Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, 
Marquez, Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. Thank you. Happy holidays. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod. Join them. Join the ranks of our amazing patrons. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, please take a moment to write a five-star review. You can stream the show via Spotify, Audible, or Podbean, musicalmanpod.podbean.com, and send me an email at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Thanks, as always, to Patty and Benny all the way out there in Chicago. Happy holidays to you. Alex Green, thank you for our beautiful logo. Happy holidays to you. And thank you to Zach Little for our fabulous intro and outro music. Happy holidays to you too, Zach. Oh, no. You know what that sound means. Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, off Wiedersehen, and good night.
I thought I was meant for more At least you look so pretty in your predicament Very, very, very did something you do You sure? It's very, 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 very good for you Hope you're right Very, very, very makes you hot to do One happy life Does it though? We'll see.